2: Yeah, we have both your teams. Wednesday night, Oilers game. Friday night, doubleheader. Eskimos first, then Oilers. And then another Oilers game on Sunday. Another big week. Coming up, the Eskimos try to tune up for the playoffs. They have a very, very slim chance of finishing second in the West and hosting a playoff game, but uh, virtually impossible that that will happen. Very likely the Eskimos will be crossing over. We'll see how they get ready, and the Oilers will try to keep building on their 5-1 and one start to the season. I can tell you tonight in the NHL, The Flames have jumped in front of the Blackhawks, 1-0. Eight minutes left in the first period. The Flyers and Canadians tied at one late in period two. Your scoreboard presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can visit crystalglass.ca. Monday Night Football. We have a 3 0 lead for Houston over Denver. Six minutes left in the first quarter. In Denver, both teams coming in at four and two. Can also tell you the Philadelphia Eagles have uh, once again signed Aaron Grimes, the former Edmonton Eskimo's cornerback. Tomorrow, the Edmonton Oil Kings on home ice against Brandon. Seven o'clock start at Rogers Place. Oh, also tomorrow, a little thing known as the World Series starts. Somebody is going to end a long drought. Personally, I hope it's the Chicago Cubs. want to visit with Judd Surratt. He's a radio host for the Chicago Blackhawks on WGN Radio. He's lived in Chicago all his life, and he used to cover the Cubs as well. Judd, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. Thanks for having me. Perhaps the better question is, how is the city of Chicago doing? Still hungover or what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Reed, they're excited. Uh, I don't know if you get a chance to watch uh, how the Cubs celebrate, and they really celebrate after every single victory. Obviously, uh, that was taken up a notch after they won the NLCS and and have headed to the World Series for the first time in 71 years. This city is absolutely uh, overjoyed about the possibilities here for the Cubs. But the other thing is, uh, they have been very well behaved. Uh, I noticed the other night when they did capture. Uh, the NLCS, and they moved down to the World Series, that uh, the parties were controlled. They were certainly uh, at a high volume, but uh, everybody behaved themselves. They did well, and I think they realized, much like the Cubs, there's four more to go. Being second doesn't matter. Getting there doesn't matter. Winning it is what matters.
2: Okay, well, uh, you brought up some good points there that are going to lead into other questions I had, and and one of them is, what was it, it like... In your mind, you know, in your – I'm sure you cheer for the Cubs, but also observing Cubs fans throughout the season because they've had good teams before, and then there was, you know, the Bartman game, or even going back to 1984, they were up 2 nothing in a best-of-five. Were Cubs fans waiting for something bad to happen, or was there a different sense of belief about this year's team?
0: Reed, it's a really good question because if you think back to 2008, uh, this team was by far the best one in the National League, and then they came out in the first round – and they stunk up the joint against the Dodgers. Uh, I think it's, a, it's very much a generational thing. I, I think if you are a Cub fan who is 50 or 60 years old, and you were around or, or north of that number, and you were around for 69, you were around for 84, you were around for 2003, You know, and there were a couple other playoff appearances sprinkled in there where things didn't obviously work out, I think that there was a feeling of dread for a lot of those fans, I, I certainly have a lot of family that felt that way. That all of a sudden, I mean, it could be something as simple as a borderline pitch being called a ball or a guy making an error, and okay, that's it. That's it. We're done. It's not going to happen this year. This is not going to happen. But I think for a lot of the younger fans who have certainly um, started to digest what's happened here with this new regime with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and Jason McCloud, that's the three-headed monster basically behind the Cubs and how they have tried to build this up that I think that they understand there is no such thing as goats. There is no such thing as a curse, that those things don't matter. What matters is the type of team that you have on the diamond, and what those guys have put together for the Cubs is not only going to be a terrific team this year, this will be a fabulous core and nucleus of a team for many, many years to come. Uh, I think watching the Cubs this year, and remember Kyle Schwarber was hurt early in the season, arguably one of the the biggest thunder bats in the National League from the left side. This is a guy who ripped his ACL after three games, and they were still able to smoke the National League offensively this year, by far the biggest run differential. So I think in talking to a lot of Cub fans, I think that they felt that there was no question. This team was headed into the playoffs. The question would be, is it finally the year?
2: You also referenced in your first answer, you know, celebration, but fans realizing there's still a job left to do. So there's, uh, you know, there's none of that, oh, just thank God we make it. Who cares what happens in the World Series? Uh, I I mean, give give us that sort of sense from the fan base moving in here.
0: Well, listen, they are absolutely overjoyed. And I was trying, as I was walking here to the United Center, trying to put this in perspective the last time the city felt like this. Uh, If you go back to when the Blackhawks won here in uh, 2009-2010 against the Philadelphia Flyers, remember this franchise prior to that had not won a Stanley Cup since 1961. A huge, huge gap in years. And and I think that the excitement in this town, I'll never forget the warm-up there for game one against the Flyers. Nobody sat down. It was a standing ovation for the warm-up and the the type of excitement and the type of emotion that was in the building and around the city was absolutely magnificent. But with all due respect to the Blackhawks, the Cubs uh, are a much bigger entity, um, a much more national entity, um, and they play America's pastime uh, in Major League Baseball. The only thing that I can compare it to in this town is maybe when the Bears won the Super Bowl in 1985. They hadn't won uh, since 1963, and the Bears, you know, in a big way, uh, represent the fabric of what this town is about. But the Cubs, it was like the great myth. It could never happen. Um, There were so many players, I can tell you, Reed, over the years, and this includes Steel, that this was the unconquerable. This was the thing. This was the last great thing that had not been accomplished in professional sports. The Cubs winning the world series and there were a lot of guys who've been attracted to this town to play and work for the organization uh for that very reason because they wanted to be around when it happened and it just might happen this year
2: judd Surratt joining us from chicago talking about the cubs finally being in the world series and a chance to win it for the first time since 1908 tell me a little bit about the appeal of this team that that maybe this is more so of an outside of Chicago thing, and they do have an incredible stadium to go watch a ball game. Um, but but it's weird how a lot of the appeal of this team has been the the lovable loser, right? And may, maybe that's going to change. Maybe they'll have appeal for an entirely different reason. But that's sort of etched into who the Cubs are, right?
0: Well, you have to remember, read in the bigger picture, and, and think of our buddy, our, our mutual friend Rob Brown, who used to live right down the street from the park. He lived like maybe 50 paces just west of the park uh, over on Addison, that it was Mardi Gras every day here. The guys who built the Blackhawks built the Cubs, John McDonough, Jay Blunk, and they brought in Harry Carey. It, it became the greatest beer garden, the greatest party, the greatest atmosphere in all of baseball. People still want to come. It's not just to the park, but it's the entire experience. Everybody around Major League Baseball was trying to emulate the park any experience with bars and restaurants and action and closing down the streets and being able to mingle and, and check out the whole atmosphere before, during and after a game. So remember that's sort of the basis of the team, maybe starting in 1982, 1983, after Dallas Green came over from the Philadelphia Phillies and became the president of the team. But the Cubs were a national entity. They were on WGN television for a long time. They were a super station. So they were beamed all over the country, and everybody got Harry Carey. Everybody got the mayor of Rush Street. And everybody latched on two years after that, after Harry got here in 1982, to the team in 1984. That was absolutely fabulous. And unfortunately, they lost in five games to the San Diego Padres, which is a strange story unto itself. But but I digress. So that's sort of the basis of the team. So then Co. Epstein, Jed Hoyer, the Ricketts family comes in and they take over. And their idea was, to build a core of players that would be here for a while and would appeal to a fan base. And they slowly went about putting it together. I was there when they made the deal to pick Anthony Rizzo up from the San Diego Padres. They surprised some people by going for another bat in Chris Baez. Javier Baez was a holdover. Uh, He was the last pick by the general manager Jim Hendry before Jim left and and Theo came in. Um, So you're talking about that is sort of, the basis of the team. They picked up Addison Russell. If you look at one of the big signposts for the Cubs and what allowed them to uh, to get to this point and become a power, I'll never forget. It was July 4th. We're in Washington, D.C. The Cubs just come off of a sweep of the Red Sox at Fenway Park. And we played the Nationals the next day. I was actually uh, headed... Uh, to the bar because we would played an early game and I saw the Cubs' media relations guy and he was sprinting back to the hotel and we had asked him, like, hey, Peter, join us for a drink! And he was like, all the way, he was sprinting to the hotel because the Cubs were pulling off a major deal with the Oakland A's, sending Jeff Samarja and Jason Hamill in exchange for Addison Russell. What a huge piece that was. So the organization sort of focused on this young, talented, impact type of player with high character and, and then you've got a guy in Joe Madden, managing this bunch. You know, and that was sort of a coup because that only happened because Andrew Friedman, uh, who was the president of baseball operations for the Tampa Bay Rays, left and took the job with the Dodgers. And Joe had an out in his contract. Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer actually made their way down to an RV park uh, because Joe and his wife were driving around an RV after the season just touring the country. They had a meeting with Joe, convinced him to come here, and the team took off.
2: Well, i got to be honest with you, buddy. I'm cheering for him. I, I think it's going to be one of the <laughs> – well, it's going to be historic if they win it. So uh, thanks for giving us a sense of the vibe, and it just must be so exciting to be there right now as we roll into the World Series. Judd, I hope we can do this again, and I'll say hi to Rob Brown for you. I'm glad you survived your tenure with him.
0: <laughs> no, I appreciate it. You know, Brown, one of my favorite guys. My last thing, actually, read before, I, before uh, you get rid of me, is you have to remember this is such a multi-generational thing that it impacts not only the generation that's watching the team now, but its its parents, its grandparents, its great grandparents that all had a chance to experience the Cubs together. Um, you know, I mean just even thinking about it now it's so emotional because as a kid what you remember is your mom or your dad or your grandfather or your grandmother taking to the ballpark and walking up those historic steps and seeing that classic scoreboard and the ivy on the wall and the green grass and the rooftops in the background, it's something that resonates with everybody in this town.
2: Well, Judd, that sounds incredible. Thanks for letting us know what it is like there, Judd Surratt works for WGN covering the Blackhawks but he's lived in Chicago all his life and he used to uh, do some stuff with the Chicago Cubs I- as well it-, it was pretty cool I-, I was able to watch the end of the game on Saturday when they clinched it, Pat Hughes is their radio voice on 670 the source Garcia, Puig pinch hitting and he will hit a ground ball towards short Russell goes to Baez, one, over to first the Cubs are going to the World Series the Cubs win the pennant the last broadcaster to say that <laughs> was working right around the time the Second World War ended. My goodness. It seven eighteen. It's Inside Sports on 630. You can text 630, 630. Everybody's cheering for the Cubs, right? Except for Jack Michaels, I think, is cheering for Cleveland. How do you not cheer for the Cubs in this one? Still ahead, Ed Ilnicki running back from the U of A Golden Bears. All he did on the weekend was play in a seven-overtime game.
0: You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
2: Ooh, a little Guns and Roses coming back. You know, that was great. A couple weeks ago, we had James Mitchell on the show, Engineer Jim. If you listen to my uh, buddy Jay and his podcast with Dan on from Fox Sports 1, Jim Mitchell worked as an engineer on uh, the Use Your Illusion albums, the records that Guns N' Roses put out in the early 1990s. That was a fun interview. you miss anything on the show, you go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. You can also sign up for the podcast for Inside Sports. And just a note, because I know a lot of people want to listen to Overtime Open Line, the show Rob and I do after Oilers games. We're putting that on the Oilers page on the Ched website so you can find it in the, in the list of all the audio. We're also including it as uh, with the Inside Sports podcast. It just worked out a little better technically for us to just put it up there with the inside sports stuff. So if you want overtime open line as a podcast, just sign up for the inside sports podcast and you'll get it. And if you want to skip over the inside sports stuff, I won't be offended. Though sometimes we have some fun on the show. Calgary Flames lead Chicago 1-0 after the first period. They are out shooting the Blackhawks 14-8. They got a power play goal from Sam Bennett. Montreal and Philadelphia are tied 1-1 after 2. It is nothing for Houston leading Denver early in the second quarter in Monday Night Football. I just saw somebody pointing out on Twitter, I think it was the score feed. Six quarters of primetime football, no touchdowns, right? Five quarters last night of uh, Seattle and Arizona, nobody scored a touchdown. Another quarter into the game tonight, Houston and Denver, nobody has scored a touchdown. The Edmonton Eskimos did not score a touchdown in the first half against the B.C. Lions on Saturday. They wound up losing by 7. They did get a late score and would have needed an onside kick and a couple of miracles to tie the game at force overtime. Uh, The Eskimos lost to a good team. You have to give B.C. credit. The Eskimos didn't make any plays offensively in the first half, just missed connecting on a couple of long passes. They got it going in the second half. The Eskimos defensively though couldn't get a st- I mean bad tackling first of all couldn't get a stop on second and long. They got some sacks which helped. But you know the secondary is is better than it was earlier in the season. Certainly they did, they didn't look as effective when Pat Watkins went out with what looked like a knee injury and the Eskimos are back at practice tomorrow. But you got to make a play, right? I mean, there were balls there that could have been knocked down. I mean, how many times did Manny Arsenal win a 50-50 battle for a ball? You know, both his touchdowns, he's able to rip away from Eskimo defensive backs. So didn't make enough plays, uh, and that's kind of been a thing for the Eskimos this year, right? They've been in some games but haven't been able to finish or just haven't been able to make the big play. So we'll see going forward. As we do get a touchdown, Anderson runs it in for the Broncos. That ties it at six with the convert still to come. You can text 630-630. You can phone 780-496-0063. Brad says, old school, guns and roses, B-sides. Awesome. Uh, that song, by the way, that's Bad Obsession. We play the beginning of the song... Uh, that song has an incredibly nasty word in it that we have to make sure we fade it out before that comes up.
0: Yes, it says kill by 40 seconds on the... Uh,
2: yes, do not play it past the 40-second point ever. Well, at home, in the in the privacy of your own home, you can. Not on 6.30 chat. Unless you want to get a nasty phone call from Bob Layton. All right, here's what we're going to do. Oh, we got a little Wayne Gretzky to play. He was on Oilers Now with Bob Stauffer earlier. Of course, we got to get to that. And we'll bring in Ed Elnicki, running back for the U of A Golden Bears. I got to find out what this experience is. This experience was like for Ed and his teammates. They had a game against the Manitoba Bisons on Saturday. that went seven overtimes. Yes, seven overtimes. He's up next. Inside Sports on 6:30, Chet.
0: Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad.
2: You know, the Oilers penalty killing 20 for 23 on the season with two shorthanded goals, both of them by Mark Latestu. Here's head coach Todd McClellan. Our penalty kill um,
1: has some success, I believe, because of, of Tess's mind, his ability to read the plays. Uh, he's a very cerebral player, he's positionally strong, he anticipates plays. Uh, not the fastest guy, but his smarts allow him to get into position to to kill plays, but also to get those breakaways. Having a right-handed face-off guy is real important there as well. So he, uh, he has ability, ability to settle things down, and again, he's accepted that role.
2: All right, Oilers 5-1. and one. They did not practice today. Cam Talbot was named the NHL's first star of the week. There have been two weeks in the NHL season. The Oiler, uh, An Oiler has been a first star both times. First McDavid, now Cam Talbot. Oilers back at practice at Rogers Place tomorrow morning. They host the Washington Capitals on Wednesday night. 6 o'clock face-off show here on 6.30. Chad, game will start at 7.30. They're in Vancouver Friday, home to the Senators on Sunday. So that does it for the month of October. Six of their nine games in October are at home. Tougher schedule going into November, so we'll see We'll see how they do at Toronto November 1st to kick off a five-game road trip that will include the Rangers, Islanders, Red Wings, and Penguins. And they also have uh, road games, Anaheim, L.A., Dallas later in the month, Colorado and Arizona later in the month. So the schedule is, is uh, tougher, so we'll see how the Oilers are able to meet that occasion. Certainly, Going to be fun. I think it's. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. They are a lot, a lot more resilient and entertaining team to watch than we've seen in recent years, and I, I, I have some faith that they'll be able to keep it up as we roll along. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text six thirty six thirty. The incredible story over the weekend at Footfield. The U of A Golden Bears lost a football game by the score of 67-59 to the Manitoba Bisons. It went seven overtimes, making it the longest game in the history of the Canada West Conference. U of A running back Ed Ilnicki, a big part of that game. Ed, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good, Reed. Thanks for having me back on. Are you physically recovered from the longest Canada West football game ever? (laughs) <laughs> still,
1: I think I'm still a little bit dehydrated from that one. There's not enough like there's not enough water on the sidelines to be able to go. But yeah, there was times during that game that you're just thinking, "Wow, like I'm exhausted out here." But it was it was a lot of fun to be a part of.
2: Let's be, before we get into the craziness that was the extended overtime. Mm-hmm. Did you guys almost recover a fumble on the near the end of the game as well? I mean, somebody who was at the game told me that they actually thought Manitoba did fumble, but the the runner was ruled down. I mean, what what had happened there? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think Manitoba got the ball back with about I think they had the ball back with about like a minute and a half left in the game or something like that. And they started in their own end and were driving the field a little bit and it came down to it was one of the last like two or three of the last plays that the quarterback rolled right and I think he kind of got caught up with somebody almost like tried to hurdle in one situation and I didn't see the ball like I couldn't see it clearly but our whole bench was sure that it was a fumble and it ended up they rolled him down so it was one of those moments where you're like oh like you don't really know what's going on and I haven't I haven't looked at it on film yet but yeah, I guess there's there a lot of plays like that to kind of back and forth and these little things that, you know, kind of swing momentum one way or the other. So, yeah, it was a crazy thing to be a part of.
2: So they kept the ball and then they, they kicked to tie it right at the yeah. end?
1: Okay. Yeah, just as time expired on the last play of the game. So they kicked there and that, that tied it and put us into overtime.
2: Okay, I... I... I want to say it was 28-28 going into overtime. Does that sound yeah, right? <laughs> okay. that's
1: correct. That's right. Okay. It was,
2: yeah. Given that it ended up 67-59. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I know, know if you've played an overtime game before, but, I mean, they're relatively calm. I mean, the Eskimos have played four this year. So do you guys do the shootout rules, right? Do you start at the 35 or the 25?
1: Start at the 35. So exactly like the, the CFL first, then? Exactly. It's exactly the same as the CFL. The only thing I wasn't sure of, because I played in a couple. I've been in two of them, I think, so far. With uh, with bears and ours are always, have always, I think, ended in one or two of them. So I know there's a rule that after a certain number, you have to go for two if you score a touchdown. Okay. And we definitely got to that point on Saturday, but I think <laughs> right. that was, I think that was after the third one that we got to that point. So, but yeah, same rules as the CFL. The only thing I'm not sure if CFL if they run it that if you go. So we started off on defense, I believe, on Saturday, and it was we went our defense was up and then we had to match what Manitoba scored, and then offense went right again. I'm not sure if that's the same in the CFL. Yeah,
2: I think they do. They, they alternate uh, uh, offense and defense. And uh, the CFL has ties. Did you, Were you aware that this game could not end in a tie, that it would keep going I'm, until someone won?
1: I was, uh, at at the start of the year, I was under the impression that after, like, three overtimes, they ended it in a tie for regular season games, but then Manitoba and B.C. a few weeks ago went to, like, their fourth overtime, so we realized at that point, it's like, no, these games, like, these games have to end at some point, so we knew that it had to happen, but it was just a matter of who's going to make, you know, who's going to, what's going to happen, who's going to make enough of a play, or is somebody going to make a mistake, and unfortunately, we came out on the wrong end of that, so... That's the way it worked out. But, yeah, we knew, we knew it had to go down at some point.
2: Golden Bears running back Ed Ilnicki joining us on Inside Sports. The final score from Saturday, Manitoba 67, Alberta 59 in septuple overtime. Um, yeah. well, at what point did you, and I know you're trying to focus on the game, but, I mean, at what point was it like, okay, th- this is nuts. We're, something, we're involved in something that may never happen again or may rarely happen. Mm-hmm. must have clicked mm-hmm. in somewhere.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you always have those moments every once in a while in a game where you kind of look around at the guys. Whether it's a time time out or something, you look around and you say, man, is it this a fun thing to be a part of that we get to be out here together and like this group of guys we're having a blast together?" But yeah, I think it was—I think it was in between. It the third or the fourth one. And I looked at one of the receivers, John Germa, and we were talking. I was like, isn't it? Like, this is just ridiculous that this is going on this way. And, yeah, I think it's – and I don't think it was even really a lapse in focus. It's just a chance to, you know, you sit back and you'd have, like, that second to breathe and you realize, man, we've been out here for almost four hours. And it's just – it still hasn't been settled, which is which is a pretty cool moment to get to experience together.
2: Look, unfortunately, you guys weren't able to pull it out. What do you remember feeling and thinking when the game ended?
1: Uh it was a tough one for us especially because you know our guys our guys played quite well and I mean as a relatively young offense if you look at some of our receivers and everything it was something that we really wanted to go out there and get a win for our our senior guys we had four guys that are graduating fifth years this year so that was their last game to get it that they were going to play at foot field and I mean what a game to be a part of as your last game but we just really wanted to go out and show out for them and there a lot of the young guys are very disappointed with that but I think and you look at what we put together throughout that entire game, yeah, we made some mistakes against good teams, and the Camelettes, you can't do that. but So that was a little deflating in the locker room afterwards, but I think when everybody gets a chance to watch the film and look at the good things we did and the good things we've been building the last few weeks, that's something that we'll be proud of as a group.
2: What was, What were the handshakes like with the Bisons after the game? It was a big. That was one of those brotherhood ones that you see across
1: the board in football, where all the guys are like, "Man, you guys played like just outstanding football across the board. You guys played a real game. You ended out the whole time." And I had a chance to play with. I know a few of the guys I had a chance to play with them in East West when Tyler and Andre and I were out there this spring. So it was it was good to see those guys and to recognize that like those are some of the big big contributors on their side and they saw the same thing on our side that our guys were able to go out and make some plays and it was just it was one that was a fun fun time to be a part of and I think our both coaching staff saw that as well. And it was yeah, so the handshake line it wasn't the same kind of animosity that you see sometimes walking by each
2: other. Alright. And, and Ed I, I I mean we've we've talked before and I've you know had coach on the show and you guys mm-hmm. were pretty hopeful about this season. I know you still got a game left, but you won't make the playoffs Mm -hmm. And uh, you're one and six. Certainly you had a couple really close losses where maybe you could have been three and four or four or three. You had a couple games that were really lopsided against you guys. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are looking and saying, well, I'm going to include myself in this and say, when do they take the step forward? How come the Bears are still winding up with one, two, Mm -hmm. three win seasons? Mm -hmm. What do you what do you say to that?
1: um the thing that i can say of it is that if you watch the games especially the last three weeks and we've talked about this as a group but if you watch the last three weeks we've played a lot our mentality has been around clean football and that's something you didn't see in the first four games we made mistakes we had penalties we had just breakdowns in what we're supposed to be doing for the longest time in my first few years what it was is we just didn't have the matchups we needed we didn't have we got guys that we got physically beat up when I was an 18 year old. I wasn't able to do the same things that I'm able to do as a 21 year old players in his fourth year versus an 18 year old kid in his first year playing in his first season. So you saw those, those matchups have now, I think flipped to our side where we have guys that physically can match up with anybody in Can West and do a pretty good job. Can is a great football league. So you're going to get to, you're going to get beat once in a while. And that's just, that's just football. You have to be able to look past that, but We missed in the last, the first four games and what we're building these last three and what we're going to build in towards next year is that idea of playing really clean football and being 100% perfect in our execution because if you look at where we've gotten beat, it hasn't been because it hasn't been because people have been able to just take things away from us because they're bigger, faster, or stronger, or have a better scheme. It's because we've had a breakdown here. Or we've had a mental lapse that gave them a chance to do something. And when you're playing against good competition, like you do in the Can West, those are mistakes that you can't afford to have. So that's what we've been building towards, and that's what I think moving forward. If we have a good off season moving forward, and if we put together a really good game against a good team in Saskatoon on Friday and we're able to do those same things that we've talked about, the last few weeks and that's something that regardless of how the season ends up regardless if we go out and there get a win or not we're gonna we're gonna be proud of what we've built in that last in the last half of the season here
2: well I wish you guys all the best against the huskies on Friday Ed you've been great to talk to I know we'll do this again and thanks for letting us all know what it was like to be involved in that historic game on the weekend man thanks so much for your time no problem thanks Reed Ed Ilnicki checking in tonight excellent running back. Excellent interview from the U of A Golden Bears football team. A game for the ages, seven overtimes. They wind up losing 67-59 to Manitoba on Saturday afternoon. Wow little Eskimos talk coming up. Morley Scott has the Eskimos show from 8 to 9. You can text 630-630. Brad says, Reed, you're right when you say the Oilers are more resilient. But for me as a fan, McDavid is a major calming effect. With him, I feel like as long as the Oilers keep it close, they have the game breaker. And Rocket says, hey, Reed, just woke up from a 10-year Oilers coma. Holy Hannah, Oilers are 5-1, and one, leading the NHL. Somebody pinched me so I know I'm actually awake. Go Blackhawks go against Calgary tonight. Chicago has tied the game. 1-1 against the Flames. They are, how deep into the second period are they? About four minutes into the second period. Cal- or now Philadelphia and Montreal 1-1. They are in the third. Morley Scott's going to stop in next. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat.
0: Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30, Chad.
2: Now 14-6, Denver leading Houston into the final two minutes. Monday Night Football in Denver tonight. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Inside sports on 6:30, Chad. The Eskimos show coming up. Morley Scott will slide in for a preview here. In a few minutes, and then he has the Eskimo show from eight tonight. I believe he has a round table tonight, but trust me, it ain't nights on that round table. Matthew Panashik on the other side of the window, by the way, is our studio producer. Matthew, how are you doing, old boy? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. What's your record with Oilers games this year? Uh, one and oh. You're one and oh. So I am. Kellen's four and one. Yes he is. You guys are both doing well. We're good. doing good this season. All right. I'm glad you guys are keeping track of that. It's a fun little distraction. Though, often I would use it as a distraction when the Oilers were doing poorly. Yes. To try to, you know, <laughs> have something else to talk about. Maybe it won't, we won't have to rely on it so much. Let's hope not, this year. Morley, did you have your headphone in, Morley, so you can hear? I did. All right, got to you know. play some stuff for you. Oh, well, I'll turn your mic up there, buddy. Okay. Morley Scott's the play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Eskimos here on <laughs> 630 Chet. So, okay, I just want to play some stuff here for you. I don't know if you're one of those guys that doesn't like to hear yourself. Uh, but I got a little bit of play-by-play from Saturday. Usually, second, second, yeah. It's 11
3: seconds. Yeah, usually I don't. White but... gets the football. Initial contact. He bounces off it. And he's inside the 20, 15, 10. Tries to kick it back inside. Touchdown, Eskimos. John White takes it to the end zone. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's kind of muffled in my headset. So I got the cheap headsets on. That's okay. But but, but I thought, yeah. good call. Well, thank and you. And I thought, I thought
2: that was, it. now that mm-hmm. touchdown was in the third quarter to put the Eskimos within seven. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean, you sort of have to gauge the excitement level of the fans, of the people listening when you're calling a touchdown. I mean, if you were to run that in with no time left on the clock in the fourth quarter and the Eskimos were down by 30, yeah, you're going to be like, okay, and White's in, so the Eskimos get one. I thought that was a, you know, a, an appropriate level of excitement. The Eskimos were back in the game, but not leading a lot of time still to come. Okay. Exactly right. Now, this one here is uh, Jack Michaels calling an Oilers game from last week.
1: Flips out in front. A shot block, rebound save made by Kavan. What a glove stop with one point six to go. He took away the equalizer and keeps it three to two.
2: So, a uh, uh, literally a game saver. <clears throat> yep. So Jack, a little more into it. Yep. A little more growl in the voice. So, yep. okay, appropriate for the occasion. Yeah, absolutely. Save preserves an Oilers victory. Now, this is uh, Pat Hughes, not the former Oiler. Play-by-play for the Cubs on 670. The score in Chicago. Garcia, Puig pinch hitting, and he will hit a ground ball toward short. Russell goes to buy as one over the first. The Cubs are going to the World Series. The Cubs win the pennant. Now. For a team that hasn't been to the World Series since 1945, does that just come across, and I am not a play-by-play guy, and I try not to be too critical of other broadcasters, I just found that, given the occasion, perhaps a little understated. Like, you don't want to go overboard and you want to let the crowd go through, but I thought maybe the delivery... Of the key line of them going to the World Series might have a
3: little more to it. Now, the last time they won was 1908, right? Was the World Series. So that Was was that Morse the last code. time they played in it, too? No, no, 45. 45, 45. Right? Yeah, 45. So, yeah, that's still it's a long, long time. time. Now, the
2: 1908 World Series did not have play-by-play. The results were sent around the world by Morse code. Yes. <laughs> that's 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 how they do it. Uh, but uh, I, I really like... And I know some people don't like... Um, Joe Buck as a broadcaster on Fox. I don't
3: know why. I, I think he's really I good. I
2: think he's pretty good. I, okay, here's the thing. For me, sometimes he comes off with a little bit
3: of smarminess. He's, he's smarmy. Having said that, he's one of the he's, top uh, He's a little I'm, I'm smarter than you and I know it and you know it kind of guy.
2: But, you know, having said that, he's got one of the top three play-by-play jobs in the Absolutely. United States right
3: now. If not the top one. He hey, if you could take anybody's baseball? job in the world, it might be his. Play-by-play for the Super well, Bowl. Could, play-by-play I, I, for the World Series. I, I could play-by-play I, I, I could play-by-play for the U.S. Open now. Oh, True. He's... I could think of some non-sports-related jobs I'd be interested in. But
2: anyway, we'll save that for another show. <laughs> Maybe one later at night. But uh, <laughs> uh, by his call, I, sh- I didn't tape his call, but he was basically like, left side, out, out. The Cubs have won the pennant. And then I was reading today, he shut up for two minutes and 38 seconds. Uh, no,
3: that's TV. 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 Let it breathe. But, but great call. I mean, he punched it. He got yep. the punch on the call, yep. and then you just shut up. I, and r- I remember reading it. a story about him, and I can't remember what he said, but as people in that profession and this profession that I'm in often do, when you know something's coming, you try to plan ahead for it, right? If you know a record's coming or you know something's happening. Uh, when Mark McGuire was chasing the all-time home run record, he wrote down on his scorebook what he wanted to say. He had something eloquent and meaningful, and you know, stamped with history. Is this Buck or somebody else? Buck. Was he already doing the games. Buck, I guess yeah. Would have been, yeah. And it was you know, you know, something perfect for the occasion. And then I remember him saying he couldn't look at it. He said I hadn't looked at it in a while because I hadn't done one of their games for a while. I couldn't look at it because, as you recall, that home run was a rope, and. It was, yeah,
2: you weren't sure it was going to get out.
3: Yeah, and so he said, "I had to watch the ball. I couldn't look down, so I just went." I don't remember. I don't remember what he said. I'm sure it was fine because he's a pretty good broadcaster. But it was kind of funny. He prepared. He was ready to go, but he couldn't look at his notes because he had to watch the ball to see if it got over the fence or not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. the, the, watching the, the ball is or... always good for a play-by-play guy. Yeah, following <laughs> watching I the games. I found that. Watching That's one of the games. first things yeah. I learned doing football. What? What? And what? the difference about football is a lot of times the excitement you talk about it comes two or three plays before. When it's the the Riley to Bowman for fifty two yards, that's yeah, that, was that takes you to the touchdown. six yard line, yeah. and then John White runs it in, or whatever the case may be, right? Like a quarterback sneak is not an overly yeah. exciting play to call. No, it's not. He's to in touchdown Eskimos, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's a lot. Of, that's what's kind of neat about football the the play where you get the excitement in the call sometimes isn't the touchdown it's the big play that sets up the touchdown all right Eskimos show from 8 tonight they don't they didn't practice today did they no they didn't uh, they took the day off uh, uh, coach Moss on the post game talked about getting rest and getting the game plan ready for Hamilton so I'm sure they were all in the classroom today getting the game plan and getting ready for the football game on Friday night so they weren't on the field they'll be on the field tomorrow though for the first of two pretty strenuous days of working out I'm sure who's, the on the sh- Tigers. who's on the show buddy uh, we're gonna have a roundtable tonight uh, if they get here not here yet. Blake Dermott's coming in. Uh, 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 let me see. Jerry Montajon from the Edmonton Sun slash Edmonton Journals coming in. I guess it's better to say Post Media. And uh, Dave Campbell from 630 Chet will be uh, joining us as well. So, going
2: to be great. Thanks, Morley.
3: My pleasure. It didn't get to my uh, Walking Dead thoughts
2: on the season opening episode. Loved it. it. But I can tell you this. Apparently, I'm a weirdo
3: because gore doesn't bother me. Didn't bother me at all. Really?
2: I know it's fake.
3: Man. You gotta let yourself go a bit, Reed. Let yourself go a bit.
2: (laughs) Thanks for tuning in tonight, Matthew Panashik, the studio producer. Dave Campbell, the producer. I'm Reed Wilkins. See ya.
0: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on six thirty Chad.